Chapter Four, Part One of National Gambling Impact Study Commission Final Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. National Gambling Impact Study Commission Final Report. Chapter Four, Part One. Problem and Pathological Gambling. In its 1997 meta-analysis of literature on problem and pathological gambling prevalence, the Harvard Medical School Division on Addictions, using past-year measures, estimated at that time that there were 7.5 million American adult problem and pathological gamblers, 5.3 million problem, and 2.2 million pathological. The study also estimated that there were 7.9 million American adolescent problem and pathological gamblers, 5.7 million problem, and 2.2 million pathological. The past year estimates of American adults who gamble is 125 million. Based on the data available to the Commission, we estimate that about 117.5 million American adult gamblers do not evidence negative consequences, 125 million minus the 7.5 million estimate of adults who are either problem or pathological gamblers. Because a comparable estimate of American adolescent gamblers has not been determined, there is no reliable way to calculate the number of adolescents who gamble without negative consequences. There are several terms used to describe pathological gamblers. Clinically, the American Psychiatric Association, APA, in its Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, DSM-IV, classifies pathological gambling as an impulse control disorder and describes ten criteria to guide diagnosis, ranging from repeated unsuccessful efforts to control, cut back, or stop gambling, to committing illegal acts such as forgery, fraud, theft, or embezzlement to finance gambling. See Table 4.1. These ten criteria represent three dimensions, damage or disruption, loss of control, and dependence. The National Research Council Review on Pathological Gambling states the American Psychiatric Association uses the terms abuse or dependence, not addiction. The lay public uses terms like addiction or compulsive interchangeably with the more scientifically accurate term dependence. All seem to agree that pathological gamblers engage in destructive behaviors. They commit crimes, they run up large debts, they damage relationships with family and friends, and they kill themselves. With the increased availability of gambling and new gambling technologies, pathological gambling has the potential to become even more widespread. Most seem to agree that problem gambling includes those problem gamblers associated with a wide range of adverse consequences from their gambling, but fall below the threshold of at least five of the ten APA-DSMIV criteria used to define pathological gambling. The Research the Commission determined its first priority in studying problem and pathological gambling was to bolster existing research with updated data on gambling behavior of the general population, which would include the prevalence of problem and pathological gambling. In addition, measurements of the economic and social impacts on communities from legalized gambling were compiled. As part of its contract with the Commission, the National Opinion Research Center, NORC, at the University of Chicago, conducted a national survey of gambling behavior in the U.S. population, including a set of questions focused on problem gambling. In that survey, 
NORC interviewed 2,417 adults by telephone, the telephone survey, and 534 adolescents by telephone, the adolescent telephone survey. In addition, 530 adults in gambling facilities, the patron survey, were interviewed to increase the sample size of potential problem and pathological gamblers. Table 4.1. DSM-IV Criteria for Pathological Gambling Preoccupation. Is preoccupied with gambling, e.g., preoccupied with reliving past gambling experiences, handicapping or planning the next venture, or thinking of ways to get money with which to gamble. Tolerance. Needs to gamble with increasing amounts of money in order to achieve the desired excitement. Withdrawal. Is restless or irritable when attempting to cut down or stop gambling. Escape. Gambles as a way of escaping from problems or relieving dysphoric mood, e.g., feelings of helplessness, guilt, anxiety, or depression. Chasing. After losing money gambling, often returns another day in order to get even, chasing one's losses. Lying. Lies to family members, therapists, or others to conceal the extent of involvement with gambling. Loss of control. Has made repeated unsuccessful efforts to control, cut back, or stop gambling. Illegal acts. Has committed illegal acts, e.g., forgery, fraud, theft, or embezzlement, in order to finance gambling. Risked significant relationship. Has jeopardized or lost a significant relationship, job, or educational or career opportunity because of gambling. Bailout. Has relied on others to provide money to relieve a desperate financial situation caused by gambling. Source. National Opinion Research Center at the University of Chicago, Gemini Research, and the Lewin Group. Gambling Impact and Behavior Study. Report to the National Gambling Impact Study Commission, April 1, 1999. Table 1, page 16. Also, 100 communities across the country were selected for a detailed examination of the impact of gambling on a variety of indices, including financial health, crime, and social problems. NORC conducted case studies in ten of these communities, in which they interviewed seven or eight community leaders regarding their perceptions. A separate research contract was given to the National Research Council, NRC, of the National Academy of Sciences, for the purpose of conducting a thorough review of the available literature on problem and pathological gambling. This review covered 4,000 gambling-related references, including 1,600 specifically focused on problem and pathological gambling. 300 of these were empirical studies. Together, the NORC and NRC reports have added substantially to the publicly available literature on the subject, and provide a valuable addition to our knowledge of gambling behavior, along with a clearer picture of the effects of problems and pathological gambling on individuals and their communities. These research findings are not the last word on the subject, however, indicating that much more research is needed. The studies are included in their entirety with this final report and may be found on the accompanying CD-ROM. Despite the lack of basic research and consensus among scholars, the Commission is unanimous in its belief that the incidence of problem and pathological gambling is of sufficient severity to warrant immediate and enhanced attention on the part of public officials and others in the private and non-profit sectors. The Commission strongly urges those in positions of responsibility to move aggressively to reduce the occurrence of this malady in the general population and to alleviate the sufferings of those afflicted. RISK FACTORS FOR PROBLEM AND PATHOLOGICAL GAMBLING Although the causes of problem and pathological gambling remain unknown, 
there is no shortage of theories. For some, problem or pathological gambling results primarily from poor judgment and inadequate self-control. Others argue that problem or pathological gambling is often simply a developmental stage, which a person can outgrow. Especially interesting is research into the genetic basis of problem or pathological gambling. Given the present state of knowledge, there appears to be no single root cause of problem and pathological gambling. Instead, a variety of factors come into play. According to the NRC study, certain patterns of behavior exist that may predispose a person to develop a gambling problem. For example, pathological gambling often occurs in conjunction with other behavioral problems, including substance abuse, mood disorders, and personality disorders. The joint occurrence of two or more psychiatric problems, termed comorbidity, is an important, though complicating, factor in studying the basis of the disorder. Is problem or pathological gambling a unique pathology that exists on its own, or is it merely a symptom of a common predisposition, genetic or otherwise, that underlies all addictions? Pathological gamblers are more likely than non-pathological gamblers to report that their parents were pathological gamblers, indicating the possibility that genetic or role factors may play a role in predisposing people to pathological gambling. Recent research suggests that the earlier a person begins to gamble, the more likely he or she is to become a pathological gambler. However, many people who report being heavy gamblers in their youth also report aging out of this pattern of behavior as they mature. This process is sometimes likened to the college-age binge drinkers, who may fit the definition of problem drinker while at school, but who significantly moderate their intake of alcohol after graduation. These latter findings are an indication that environmental factors are significant. One of the most obvious of these is the availability of gambling opportunities. Whatever the ultimate cause of problem or pathological gambling, it is reasonable to assume that its manifestation depends, to some undetermined degree, on ease of access to gambling, legal or otherwise. And the limited available evidence appears to support this assumption. NORC examined the nearby presence of gambling facilities as a contributing factor in the evidence of problem and pathological gambling in the general population. In examining combined data from its telephone and patron surveys, NORC found that the presence of a gambling facility within 50 miles roughly doubles the prevalence of problem and pathological gamblers. However, this finding was not replicated in NORC's phone survey data alone. Seven of the nine communities that NORC investigated reported that the number of problem and pathological gamblers increased after the introduction of nearby casino gambling. NRC's review of multiple prevalence surveys over time concluded that some of the greatest increases in the number of problem and pathological gamblers shown in these repeated surveys came over periods of expanded gambling opportunities in the states studied. An examination of a number of surveys by Dr. Rachel Voberg concluded that states that introduced gambling had higher rates of problem and pathological gambling. The relationship between expanded gambling opportunities and increased gambling behaviors was highlighted in the personal testimony received by the Commission. Ed Looney, Executive Director of the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling, testified that the national helpline operated by his organization received significant increases in calls from locations where gambling has been expanded. Estimating the Prevalence a more contentious subject than the actual source of problem or pathological gambling is estimating the percentage of the population suffering 
from pathological or problem gambling, however it is defined. Different studies have produced a wide range of estimates. One reason for the variation in estimates centers on the timeline used. For example, studies using the DSMIV may make a distinction between those gamblers who meet the criteria for pathological or problem gambling at some time during their life, lifetime, and those who meet the criteria only during the past twelve months, past year. Each approach has its defenders and critics. For the purpose of measuring prevalence in the general population, lifetime estimates run the risk of overestimating problem and pathological gambling, because these estimates will include people who may recently have gone into recovery and no longer manifest any symptoms. On the other hand, past-year measures may understate the problem, because this number will not include people who continue to manifest pathological gambling behaviors, but who may not have engaged in such behavior within the past year. Prior to the research undertaken by this commission, the data on prevalence was scattered at best. Nevertheless, virtually all estimates indicate a serious national problem. For example, Dr. Schaffer's review of the existing literature on the subject concluded that approximately 1.6% of the adult population, 3.2 million people, are lifetime level 3 gamblers, compared to the DSMIV's pathological gamblers. Another 3.85%, 7.7 million, are lifetime level 2 gamblers, those with problems below the pathological level. A number of state-based and regional studies also have been conducted, with mixed results. A 1997 survey in Oregon indicated that the lifetime prevalence of problem and pathological gambling in that state was 4.9%. Recent studies in Mississippi and Louisiana indicate that 7% of adults in those states could be classified as lifetime problem or pathological gamblers, with approximately 5% meeting past-year criteria. The problems inherent in measuring this disorder are indicated in a study of surveys carried out in 17 states, which reported results ranging from 1.7 to 7.3%. The Commission's Research Findings The goal of the Commission's research was to provide reliable, solid numbers on the incidence of problem and pathological gambling in the national population, and to better define the behavioral and demographic characteristics of gamblers in general. The NRC estimated the lifetime rate of pathological gambling to be 1.5% of the adult population, or approximately 3 million people. In addition, in a given year, 0.9% of all adults in the United States, approximately 1.8 million people, meet the necessary criteria to be categorized as past-year pathological gamblers. The NRC estimated that another 3.9% of adults, 7.8 million people, meet the lifetime criteria for problem gambling, and that 2%, 4 million people, meet past-year criteria. The NRC also stated that between 3 and 7% of those who have gambled in the past year report some symptoms of problem or pathological gambling. The NORC study, based on a national phone survey supplemented with data from on-site interviews with patrons of gambling establishments, concluded that approximately 1.2% of the adult population, approximately 2.5 million people, are lifetime pathological gamblers, and that 0.06% approximately 1.2 million, were past year. An additional 1.5% of the adult population, approximately 3 million, fit the criteria for lifetime problem gamblers. Past year problem gamblers were 0.7% of the population, approximately 1.4 million. Based on lifetime data, 
more than 15 million Americans were identified as at-risk gamblers. At-risk gamblers are defined as those who meet one or two of the DSM-IV criteria. They are at risk of becoming problem gamblers, but they may also gamble recreationally throughout their lives without any negative consequences. These figures varied somewhat when examining phone survey or patron data alone, and also when measuring past-year gambling as opposed to lifetime. See tables 4.2, 4.3, and 4.4. The incidence of problem and pathological gambling among regular gamblers appears to be much higher than in the general population. In NORC's survey of 530 patrons at gambling facilities, more than 13% met the lifetime criteria for pathological or problem gambling, while another 18% were classified as at risk for developing severe gambling problems. By comparison, the NORC random digit dialing survey of 2,417 members of the general population found that 2.1% met the lifetime criteria for pathological or problem gambling, while 7.9% were classified as at risk. Table 4.2. Comparison of Problem and Pathological Gambling Prevalence Rates, General Adult Population. University of Michigan Survey, 1976. Rate per 100,000. Lifetime, 0.77. Probable Compulsive Gambler. Lifetime, 2.33. Potential Compulsive Gambler. Harvard Meta-Analysis, 1997. Rate per 100,000, 1 1.6, level 3, 3.85, level 2, 1.14, level 3, 2.8, level 2. National Research Council, 1999. Lifetime rates, 1.5, level 3, 2.9, level 2. Past year, 0.9, level 3. 2.0, Level 2. NORC RDD patrons combined. Lifetime, 1.2, Pathological. 9.2, Sum of At-Risk, 7.7, and Problem, 1.5. Past Year, 0.6, Pathological. 3.6, Sum of At-Risk, 2.9, and Problem, 0.7. NORC RDD, 1999. Lifetime, 0.8, pathological, 9.2, sum of at-risk, 7.9, and problem, 1.3. Past year, 0.1, pathological, 2.7, sum of at-risk, 2.3, and problem, 0.4. Table 4.3, comparison of U.S. adult pathological and problem gambling with alcohol and drug dependence and abuse, percent. 12 month, pathological gambling, 0.9. Alcohol dependence, 7.2. Drug dependence, 2.8. Pathological and problem gambling, 2.9. Alcohol dependence and abuse, 9.7. Drug dependence and abuse, 3.6. Lifetime, pathological gambling, 1.5. Alcohol dependence, 14.1. Drug dependence, 7.5. Pathological and problem gambling, 5.7. Alcohol dependence and abuse, 23.5. Drug Dependence and Abuse. 11.9. Table 4.4. Comparing lifetime and past year prevalence of rates of adult psychiatric disorders in the United States, where does disordered gambling fit? Gambling Disorder. Level 3. Lifetime. 1.6. Past year. 1.1. 1 
Antisocial Personality Disorder, Lifetime, 2.6, Past Year, 1.2. Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, Lifetime, 2.6, Past Year, 1.7. Drug Abuse and Dependence, Lifetime, 6.2, Past Year, 2.5. Major Depressive Episode, Lifetime, 6.4, Past Year, 3.7. Generalized Anxiety Disorder, Lifetime, 8.5, Past Year, 3.8. Alcohol Abuse and Dependence, Lifetime, 13.8, Past Year, 6.3. Table 4.5, Prevalence of Gambling Problems Among Demographic Groups. For each of the categories, I will give at-risk, lifetime, and past year, problem, lifetime, and past year, and pathological, lifetime, and past year, in that order. Gender. Male, 9.6, 3.9, 2.0, 0.9, 1.7.8. Female. 6.0, Race. White. 6.8, Black. 9.2, 4.2, 2.7, 1.7, 3.2, 1.5. Hispanic, 12.7, Other, 8.8, Age, Education. Less than high school. 10, 2 .4, 1.7, 1.2, 2.1, 1.0. High school graduate. 8.0, Some college. 7.9, 3.5, 1.5, 0.8, 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, 1.4, 1.5, 1.6, 1.7, 1.8, 1.9, 1.1. College graduate, 6.4, Income, less than 24,000, 50,000 to 99,999, 8.0, 2.5, 1.3, 0.7, 0.9, 0.2, greater than 100,000, 13.4, It is possible that the numbers from the NRC and NORC studies may understate the extent of the problem. Player concealment or misrepresentation of information and the reliance of surveyors on telephone contact alone 
may cause important information on problem or pathological gamblers to be missed. For example, among pathological gamblers, a common characteristic, in fact one of the DSM-IV criteria, is concealing the extent of their gambling. Data in the NORC survey support the theory that even non-problem gamblers tend to understate their negative experiences related to gambling. And, in fact, survey respondents greatly exaggerated their wins and underreported their losses. Similarly, respondents were five times more likely to report that their spouse's gambling contributed to a prior divorce than to admit that their own gambling was a factor. Thus, the actual prevalence rates may be significantly higher than those reported, Additional research is needed to verify the full scope of problem in pathological gambling. Characteristics of Pathological Gamblers Although it is possible to predict who will develop a gambling problem, it is clear that pathological and problem gamblers are found in every demographic group, from college students to the elderly, housewives to professionals, solid citizens to prison inmates. See Table 4.5. The following short vignettes relate the personal testimonies of the dangers and tragic consequences of pathological gambling. Mary began visiting the riverboat casinos in Kansas City, Missouri, shortly after her husband of forty years died. It was something to do. The lights, the music, there were people around. You could forget where you were at, she said. March 7, 1997, marked the one-year anniversary of her husband's death. She decided to stay out that night to help forget the pain. She won several jackpots, including one of $28,000. From then on, Mary became a regular. Casino workers knew her by name, and treated her as a VIP. In 1997, she received 14 W-2 forms from the casino, each representing a jackpot of over $1,200. But behind the wins were many, many losses. The money from her husband's life insurance, his $50,000 annual pension, and Mary's monthly Social Security payment all went to the casinos. She then racked up $85,000 in debt on her 14 credit cards. She was forced to file for bankruptcy. Not once did anyone in the casinos ever ask the sixty-year-old grandmother if she had a problem with gambling. Instead, besides the free rooms and meals at the casino, she was also bombarded with market mailings. "'They know you have no control,' she said. "'They do everything they can to lure you in.' Mary. As a child, Scott watched his parents scrape by paycheck to paycheck. He vowed it would be different with him. "'I thought the way to a good life was money,' the New York native said and I thought the way to a lot of money was gambling. Scott placed his first bet with a bookie his freshman year of college. He found himself in debt within weeks. Later, he stole $600 from his first employer, a supermarket, to cover gambling debts. At age 24, Scott made his first trip to Atlantic City, his real downfall. The casinos were an escape, he said. They gave meaning to my life. They also helped Scott block out the depression caused by his early gambling activities. Sometimes he would make the two-hour drive twice each weekend. Other times he gambled as many as fifty hours straight. His relationship with his parents, friends, and even girlfriends crumbled as his obsession with gambling grew. His savings account dwindled to nothing. He embezzled $96,000 from the stock brokerage where he worked, then wrote $100,000 in bad checks. Even his arrest, jail time, and subsequent placement under house arrest didn't deter him. I still went to Atlantic City with ankle bracelet on, he said from the inpatient treatment center where he was being treated for a pathological gambling. Nothing mattered to me but gambling. Scott, New York. Bob and Robin C. sent their middle child off to college with high hopes. Ran was a state speech champion who graduated from high school in Callispell, Montana. During his freshman year at Montana State University, they thought all was well with Ran. 
It was not. His first extended time away from home left him feeling isolated and lonely. He found relief by playing video kino. Virtually overnight he was hooked. Within months he had pawned almost all his possessions to gamble. He was forced to live out of his car. His parents remained in the dark until they discovered that Ran had been forging checks from their checking account. And until they found rifles, skis, and other belongings missing from home, Ran had pawned them all for gambling money. Bewildered by their son's behavior and at a loss as to how to help, Bob and Robin decided on a tough-love approach. They called the authorities, who placed Ran in jail, and then in a pre-release program. During the months in pre-release, Ran was allowed to work. When he completed his sentence, he was given the $2,500 he had earned during that time. Within a few days, Ran had gambled it away. Then he stole and pawned a VCR belonging to his employer. He was caught and sentenced again, this time for seven months. Ran has begged for help for this devil that has tormented him. But the state of Montana, which profits handsomely from the losses of problems and pathological gamblers, does not offer help for compulsive gambling. Rand's parents are attempting to locate professional help, and to find the resources to pay for that help. Without it, they fear greatly for Rand's future. The C family, Callispell, Montana. Debbie had never been to a casino. So, shortly after casinos opened in nearby Blackhawk and Central City, Colorado, Debbie suggested to her husband that they make the hour trek from their Denver home. They enjoyed their first visit, then went again a few days later. The novelty quickly wore off for Debbie, a licensed professional counselor. Such was not the case for her husband. Before long he was visiting the casinos four and five nights a week. Within three months of their initial visit, Debbie became aware that the couple would have to file for bankruptcy. Her husband had lost close to $40,000 in those three months, losses that their combined income of 3000 per month could not sustain. Still, Debbie's husband continued to gamble. Debbie filed for divorce, ending seventeen years of marriage. Before his gambling problems, Debbie described her husband as a stable individual, an involved father with a strong work ethic. After gambling problems developed, Debbie found her husband virtually unrecognizable. There were episodes of domestic violence and bizarre behavior. The husband I divorced was not the husband that I married, she said. He's a total stranger to me. He became a liar, he became a cheat, he became engaged in criminal and illegal activities. Debbie, Denver, Colorado. As demonstrated by these testimonials, problem and pathological gambling affects a wide range of people and their families. Research is attempting to better classify those people at greatest risk. However, for example, both the NRC and NORC studies found that men are more likely to be pathological problem or at-risk gamblers than women. Both studies found that pathological problem and at-risk gambling was proportionately higher among African Americans than other ethnic groups. Although little research has been conducted on gambling problems among Native American populations, the few studies that have been done indicate that Native Americans may be at increased risk for problem and pathological gambling. NORC reported that pathological gambling occurs less frequently among individuals over age 65, among college graduates, and in households with incomes over $100,000 per year. NRC concluded that pathological gambling is found proportionately more often among the young, less educated, and poor. Researchers have discovered high levels of other addictive behavior among problem and pathological gamblers, especially regarding drugs and alcohol. For example, estimates of the incidence of substance abuse among pathological gamblers ranges from 25 to 63 percent. 
individuals admitted to chemical dependence treatment programs are three to six times more likely to be problem gamblers than are people from the general population. In its survey, NORC found that respondents reporting at-risk, problem, and pathological gambling are more likely than low-risk or non-gamblers to have ever been alcohol or drug-dependent and to have used illicit drugs in the past twelve months. The Commission heard testimony that the prevalence of pathological gambling behavior may be higher among gambling industry employees than in the general population, and Dr. Robert Hunter, a specialist in pathological gambling treatment, has estimated that 15% of gambling industry employees have a gambling problem. In recognition of this potential problem, 24 of the 25 largest non-tribal casinos surveyed by the Commission provide health insurance covering the cost of treating problem or pathological gambling among their employees. Underage Problem Gambling One of the most troubling aspects of problem and pathological gambling is its prevalence among youth and adolescents. See Figure 4.1. Figure 4.1. Gambling, alcohol use, and drug use among adolescents. Past year pathological gambling, 1 to 6 percent. Past year pathological or problem gambling, 9 to 23 percent. Alcohol use, once per month, or ever had alcohol problems, 8 to 23 percent. Past month marijuana use, 3 to 9 percent. Past month other drug use, 1 to 2.5 percent. The available evidence indicates that individuals who begin gambling at an early age run a much higher lifetime risk of developing a gambling problem. Although the full scope of this problem remains to be defined, the Commission is unanimous in urging elected officials and others to focus on implementing more effective measures to address the problem of adolescent gambling. There is much that the Commission does know regarding adolescent gambling, and much of it is troubling. Adolescent gamblers are more likely than adults to develop problem and pathological gambling. The NRC estimates that as many as 1.1 million adolescents between the ages of 12 and 18 are past-year pathological gamblers, a much higher percent than adults. In the NORC study, the rate of problem and pathological gambling among adolescents was found to be comparable to that of adults, but the rate of those at risk was more than that for adults. Based on its survey of the research literature on problem and pathological gambling among adolescents, the NRC reported that estimates of the past-year rate of adolescent problem and pathological gambling combined range from 11.3 to 27.7 percent, with a median of 20 percent. Estimates of lifetime adolescent pathological and problem gambling range between 7.7 and 34.7 percent, with a median of 11.2 percent. Examining pathological gambling alone, estimate rates of past-year adolescent pathological gamblers rates range between 0.3 to 9.5 percent, with a median of 6.1 percent. For lifetime adolescent pathological gamblers, the estimates range from 1.2 percent to 11.2 percent, with a median of 5.0 percent. Clearly, adolescents are a segment of the population who are at particular risk of developing problems with gambling. This also is clearly an area in which targeted prevention efforts should be launched to curtail youth gambling. One program, funded by the Minnesota Department of Human Services, has developed a number of prevention measures aimed at youth, including the development of a curriculum that stresses the risk of gambling, speakers who relate their experiences with gambling, and the creation of posters and other printed materials targeted specifically toward adolescents. End of chapter 4, part 1